Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. I'm your host, Cindy Howes, and thanks for finding this podcast. Okay, uh, before we get into our guest today, very happy to be welcoming the singer-songwriter Rachel Kilgore, as well as our Canadian BFF Rose Cousins, who produced Rachel's new album, Let's get into some stuff here. Okay, first of all, Basic Folk has a monthly email list. We send out one newsletter a month to let you know what's going on with the podcast and also what's going on with our hearts and feelings. You can sign up for that at the link in the show notes, or you can also go to basicfolk.com. There is a red sign up for the newsletter button. It's easy to do and wonderful, and we just would just love it so much. It's the best way to stay in touch. You can also follow us on social media. We are on three social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. You can follow us at Basic Folk Pod. We are there posting stuff. You can also support us. We are a listener-funded podcast. That's right. You can give us $5 a month and get a Basic Folk beanie. You can make your support by going to the link in the show notes. Or check out basicfolk.com, check out the donate page or the store page. It's all great. Thank you so much. If you are a supporter of Basic Folk, we just wrapped up our uh, fun drive for the fall at the end of 2023. Thumbs up and high fives if you gave. And if you didn't, you well, why not do it now? Basicfolk.com or link in the show notes. Okay, great. Thanks. Rachel Kilgore unravels the layers of her late father on the album My Father Loved Me. Recorded in the cold of Toronto and produced by Rose Cousins, who also joins us for this conversation, this album carries the essence of Canadian roots and is a profound exploration of family heritage through the lens of an ordinary, hardworking and humble man who died in 2017. The Duluth-born Rachel and Rose, based in Halifax, reflect on their cold weather experiences infusing the recording process with warmth despite the chilly Canadian setting. The core of our discussion revolves around Rachel's deep emotional connection to the album, particularly her poignant exploration of the father-daughter relationship amidst the challenges of dementia. We navigate the themes of grief, death, and identity while learning about Rachel's father and how he impacted and continues to live on through Rachel's personality and idiosyncrasies. They share the struggle of anxiety and self-doubt, which the songwriter addresses on the album. We also get a look into Rose Cousins' perspective on Rachel's growth and the impact the vulnerable creative process has had on her songwriting. And then 
We wrap it all up with a very fun dad-themed lightning round. Let's hear a clip from Rachel's new album. This is Dad Worked Hard, and then we'll get to our conversation with Rachel Kilgore and Rose Cousins on Basic Folk. My dad worked hard from the time he was young To win the respect of his father and the love of his mom And nobody had high hopes for the scrappy farm kid But nobody loved a challenge like my old man So with his hands and his sweat With a hammer and a cigarette Long hours in the hot sun He built a foundation Late for dinner every night Sunburn and an appetite In the end he made out alright With three kids and a fruit Rachel Kilgore, Rose Cousins, welcome to Basic Folk. Thank you. So glad to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Okay, let's talk about this album, My Father Loved Me. There are so many incredible things to talk about with this record. Rachel, um, your father, Bob Kilgore. Yeah. Yeah. I don't often say his name, but yeah, that is it. Yeah. I had to do some digging to find it. You can't imagine how many Kilgores there were in the 1700s. But um, <laughs> we really narrowed it down over time. Yeah. Um, first, I wanted to talk about being cold. Um, mm. So right now, I'm in Pittsburgh. Rachel is in Duluth. Mm-hmm. Rose, Halifax. Mm-hmm. We are cold weather ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a cold weather album. It was made in February in Canada, in Toronto. The record is cozy and warm. How do you both relate to the cold and how did it have an impact on this recording? Yeah, I, I was born and raised in the cold here in Duluth. It's definitely part of me. Most of the, the songs were written in or thinking about autumn. So it wasn't really the time that we recorded. But I did have some ideas of like, I'm a little sentimental. And when we, when I went uh, to Toronto, I drove this long road trip that my family and I would use, used to take. And I like brought my ice skates and my skis. And um, I always forget that the part of Canada that my dad is from is much further south than where I live in northern Minnesota. So I had like my ice skates. I couldn't find a goddamn like outdoor rink anywhere. And I was surprised by that. So honestly, it was like warm i i was toronto wasn't as cold as i thought it might be oh okay surprising Surprise. i mean i remember there being snow but mm-hmm. but yeah with last also like last winter was like january was bizarrely warm and then i think it took a while for kind of winter to kick in so yeah i mean i think of like i loved making it in february because february is this month that emotionally is usually hard. Like, and it's, it's like one of those suffering months that we just like hope to get through. And, um, if you can survive January and then even get through February, you're lucky. So like, I think 
for me, it was such a blessing to have this beautiful project to work on to really feel like February was perfect, um, purposeful. And, um, this like kind of gap of time that could have gone, gone, you know, into survival mode was really so much more rich. Rachel, you said my dad was a hockey loving farm boy from Southern Ontario. I am feeling especially pleased to return to his home province to record these songs you recorded at Union Sound Company in Toronto. So why was it so important to record in Canada? And then how did it actually feel once you got into a Canadian studio? Uh, Well, my dad, uh, my dad was incredibly patriotic. And I think maybe more so because he was an immigrant, he kind of like it was the one place he felt his otherness as like a white heterosexual man in North America. Uh, he knew that he was Canadian and that he wasn't surrounded by them. So anytime something reminded him of home, he pointed it out. It was really important to him that we celebrated two Thanksgivings and that we knew the words to the national anthem, etc. cetera. And um, do, you, do you still know them? I th- I think so, but don't test me on it right now. God. All right, um, Rose, and a one, and a t- I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was just something he really delighted in. And like, you know, the the local, the college hockey team would get a Canadian player and he'd be like, where are they from? Oh my God, they're from Kitchener. And he just, he would get so excited and obsessive kind of about these things. So I thought, um, yeah, when I had them, all written, I thought that that would be a very nice sentimental nod and that my dad would really have gotten a kick out of that. Also, yeah, it felt important to me to just explore my Canadian heritage and like sink into that. And I do think that the Canadian music scene is very warm and welcoming. And, um, and I just like wanted to be a part of it for a second. Rose, as a Canadian, how do you think Rachel's Canada-ness has come through. <laughs> um, I mean, she's already kind of explained like, and, and I, I've only learned, you know, certainly feel very um, honored to kind of be on the inside of a few of the stories from, of her dad, but even just the things that we learned from listening to the songs, uh, I think it really does reflect how patriotic he was. And I always get a kick out of um, dual citizens. Uh, I think it's such a cool thing to have that, you know, the, the, you know, whether it's the privilege to move across the border freely, but, you know, our friend Anna Eggie is also a dual citizen. And, um, just the idea that, you know, someone from our, my country, you know, went and fell in love in a, in a different country. And then, and, and that Rachel has this kind of like, um, straddling border relationship with both countries, which was really cool. Not always the case, but like, I don't know, there's something that's so grounded and tender and Canadian about Rachel. Um, and I've always, I don't know, I feel like we've always been kindred in, in that way. And then getting to know more about, um, you know, in the song Bobby on the record where, where you kind of learn all the little isms of, of him or the fact that she would know places in Ontario that I know, like it's, it is a significant trip to go from Duluth to Ontario. And, and I, and I sadly wasn't there when she went through Ontario to play. But from what I understand, you said, Rachel, that it was like, that it was lovely. And like, I think she would fit in, in anywhere. It's, um, there's no, I think it's, it's easeful and probably tender for her that there's not much between her and the world. And, and that's good for us in the sense that she, 
um, is accessible. And I probably lots of people would think that they really feel like they're in the room with Rachel when they're listening to her sing or listening to her song. So I don't know if I answered the question, but I, I'm excited that she's half Canadian. Yeah. I like that. I feel that too. When you listen to Rachel, it feels like you're in the room with her. Yeah. Rachel, you came from a supportive and accepting family when it came to being gay, from what I read. So here's here's a personal story, a quick setup. So my wife and I got married last year. And prior to that, my dad ranged from like pretty quiet to vocally opposed to my relationships. But I really feel like his perspective changed the day we got married. And like he is like all in. Um, we actually call him the third bride. If you watch our wedding video, he is like having the most fun of all the guests. So let me know how you feel about this question, but how did your dad treat your queerness? Yeah, that I'm fine answering that question. Uh, my dad was a really simple guy as uh, I tried to lay out a simple guy with like more complicated bits. That I had to do some investigating into, but um in my household, my mom really set the tone for our family values, I think. And so her response was most important. And it was like a very understated, full acceptance of me. And that is what mattered. I, I told my mom first, and I was very scared to do it. And it wasn't about me being queer. It was about the fact that I was in, in a relationship at all. Uh, and just like I, identifying myself as an adult who was interested in having relationships, who was attracted to someone. It was just, this is humiliating. I'm so embarrassed. So just so intimate. And to talk to about those things with my mother, who I didn't have big talks about things with. And afterward, after she gave me a little pat on the back and said, okay, then that's fine. Uh, she said, well, you might want to write a letter to your dad. I, I don't know how he'll react in person. So maybe write it down and let, give him a little time to process it. So I did. And he, yeah, he, <laughs> um, yeah, he, he, it took him a little while. He didn't get it. He definitely did come from small town, Ontario farm country and like thought things were supposed to be a certain way, but we didn't really, I, I think I felt, um, I felt strong enough in my mother's acceptance of me and my siblings and in my community that it, it didn't bother me too much. Uh, it was kind of annoying. I thought he was kind of stupid. <laughs> I thought this part of like, it was easy enough for me to be like, Oh, dad. Okay. I'm fine. Um, but he did, he also, ha he struggled when I announced that I was getting married. I, I was married when I was quite young uh, at 22. Uh, I announced that I was engaged and we were getting married. And that was like another point for him where he was like, oh, he was upset about it. And I cornered him and asked if he would come to the wedding. And I remember him saying, uh, I remember him saying, oh, I don't know. I've never been to Disneyland. <laughs> wow. Like, well, Ooh, wow. <laughs> which is like classic, like early dementia dad who like, is this a riddle? What is this? You, you're saying it's pretend you're uh, and I, I tried really hard to like break through in conversation with him to figure out what exactly he was scared of. Yeah. And, and then, yeah. And then the wedding happened and he had a ball and, and I think that happens a lot for parents who struggle. Third bride ball. Not that he wasn't that into it, but I think it happens a lot to parents who struggle with their children coming out to them that 
there's like within this understandable framework of marriage or family, or in this case, I was also parenting that it was just like, oh, you're a family unit and that's acceptable. And I don't have to think about it beyond those terms. And, um, and then he was kind of on board after that. Okay. Um, these songs on the new album started coming to you during the time when your dad was diagnosed with dementia. So can you talk about the impetus for like why you started writing about him? It's why I start writing about anything. Uh, it was, it was really hard to see him. He was really suffering in it. And I, the first song that I wrote was dad work hard. And that's the only one that I wrote actually while he was still alive, probably a month or two before he died. I wrote that. And, um, that one, you know, just watching my dad who was inaccessible in so many ways. And the thing that I knew about him was that he went to work every day and that like, he was always at work. He was at work too late. He was late for dinner again. He was, but he was doing it because he loved us. He was doing it because he wanted to be a good, he wanted to be like a generous and kind friend to someone who needed help on their house or, you know, I just remember him being exhausted by work all of my life long. And I had watched him through this long, slow battle. I don't know if battle is the right word, but this transition toward death through dementia. And he was, you know, deeply ashamed of it. And I realized that end of life care is often dictated by the wealth that one um, collects in a lifetime. And I realized that my dad's financial outlook was not really tied, was not in relation to the work that he did in his life. It just, it didn't seem like it added up and it felt very unfair. And I felt protective of him and that I wanted to give him more for all the work he had done. So I wrote that and then he died. And yeah, there's just a lot to unpack. I think the death of a parental figure is particularly earth shattering. And I didn't have, my dad wasn't my confidant or I, I didn't feel like I had like a deep, rich relationship with my father. And then he was dead and that's all I wanted. And I had to kind of like recreate him through my songs and I don't know, get to know him in a way I couldn't while he was here. Do you feel like you have a relationship with him now? Mm, yeah. Dead dad's great. We get along really well. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I do. I mean, I think we have a choice when anyone dies, how how you decide to release them. And it feels very much like my dead father can give me the things he could not give in his lifetime, specifically like validation and understanding. Like he would, the, if my dad was alive and knew that I was singing these songs about him that put him in this very vulnerable light, uh, he would hate it. He would absolutely hate it. Uh, but, um, but dead dad feels like very enlightened and supportive. He's like super proud of me. <laughs> and um, yeah. And I see the ways the, the positive and unfortunate ways he lives on through me. So. You talk a lot about how your dad was a hard worker. He was a carpenter and he built many things from the ground up, including your family's home. And I was also struck by these attributes that he was always working late that you were just talking about. And he had a way of turning clients into lifelong friends. How do you think the way that he worked impacted you? I, I know you're also a hard worker and Rose Cousins, you can chime in on this as well. How do you feel about the way that you approach work? And when I say you, 
Rachel. How do you feel a way about how Rachel approaches work? Um, like my father, maybe like both of my parents, I am most motivated to work on behalf of someone else. I will work to the bone um, if someone is counting on me. And when that comes to physical work or emotional work or yeah, whatever it is. Uh, yes, I'm a very hard worker. I have a much harder time finding motivation to do, to like figure out what my own goals are and pursue them. It feels really foreign having been raised in a, a working class home, a Catholic home. Uh, I just, yeah, I, I am very, I can be incredibly generous with my time and and I don't often feel resentful. I could do that forever. But then sometimes I reframe and I think, oh, do I have a self? Um, and that's pretty terrifying, um, figuring out how to harness that from my own self. I have like, you know, in in making this record with Rachel, like witnessed and and probably experienced for myself, but like with regards to her, like, you know, in the end, the examination and research and curiosity and intrigue about the further knowledge of Rachel's father that couldn't, that wouldn't be gained unless you had gone on this quest, Rachel. Um, and like, and you're, you're inferring some things, you're getting some information from family people, you're reading things that you can find. And the, I, I, I kind of feel like this, in the past it's happened where like, I'll write a record and then I live the record. And I kind of feel like you made this record. You're deeply curious about your dad. You knew what you knew. You didn't know you, you figured out a few things. It's like, can you ever really know? I mean, anyone, but let alone like your parents, like, can you actually really know them? Can they actually reveal themselves to us? Who are we in relation to them? And getting to know Rachel over this time too, like, as she just said, she is all constantly in service of other people to a fault. And is it a fault? No, it's this incredible, generous thing that you see her do over and over again. And like lucky for the people who are on the receiving end of that, it's, it's really, truly an insane thing to watch from a distance. Um, the diligence and um, commitment and loyalty that she has to the people that she helps. And Rachel, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of feel like it's launched you into seeing just how similar you are to your dad, watching him make all these sacrifices and wondering like, if he ever had a thing for himself, if he ever had a thing where he was connected to himself. And I think Maybe you are in a phase right now in reflection of this record, but also where you're at in your life. Thank God you made the record. Not thank God your dad's dead for sure, but it is amazing to hear you talk about the relationship you have with him now because as someone who has an alive dad and also longs for that same relationship, I just see there's, it's kind of built maybe it's in the works you're actually building a thing for yourself now which is a place for you to have a relationship with yourself now that you've figured out how to kind of not finish and summarize and move away from but carry forward your dad with you as you know him to be like you but then figure out who you are 
And I would perceive that, that making the record was a real instigator of that. Like your heart, your heart and the longing was the instigator of making the record. And the record has been an instigator of you being like, what am I doing for myself? And it's been such a beautiful thing to see from, from the time when she brought me in to hear those songs and be like, Oh my God, dead dad songs. Absolutely. That's my wheelhouse. (laughs) And then be with her in the vulnerability that it took to record them because that was intense and just see what she was trying to do and be the person to hear the songs and, and, uh, the way that she, um, knew really did know what she wanted and would really um, advocate for the, for the thing, if it wasn't, if it wasn't the right thing yet. And, um, I'm so proud of her for it and like, so honored to have been a part of it. And I really kind of feel like it's Rachel, it's launched you into this like new chapter in your life that you have needed for a long time. Wow. That's amazing. Go Rachel. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So now let's talk about anxiety and (laughs) self-doubt. Perfect. That's my wheelhouse. Yeah, something that you've also reflected certain attributes of your dad. Wonderful, wonderful guy, hard worker, Mm -hmm. also had his own self-doubts and his own anxiety that you actually see in yourself. So in exploring his life through these songs, what has been unlocked in you when it comes to getting a handle on your own anxieties? God. Uh, (laughs) I'm still kind of in the phase of like, um, maybe if I just tell people about it over and over and over again, it will be less powerful. Um, Which these songs allows me to do. That's that's what I'm doing, I guess, on stage. I'm like very much singing about my dad and my dad's insecurities, but they're mine as well. And it feels like it's strange that it's through this vehicle. I would say like songwriting is the one thing that I uh, feel very certain about in the world other than like, yes, um, I'm a useful tool for others that sure I can give a lot. And then as far as like my own self, the thing I've always felt was like, I don't have much control over songwriting. I don't overthink it. Um, it's just like this very untouched expression of my humanity. And it, and I, uh, it feels immune to criticism, which is weird because like in all other areas of my life, like criticize me, I will take it to heart. I will, I will think about it all night long. But if you tell me that my songwriting could be better or this was the wrong word or this, you know, that kind of feedback, like, unless it really like means something to me and I agree, I, it's so easy for me to be like, no, I just did it right. Cause I'm just being a human. And I put those words together and that's how it feels inside of me. So I can't do that wrong. Um, so yeah, these songs came out of me and it felt very much like, Oh, that's how, that's how it is. That's how I feel. That's who my dad was to me. And, and I didn't do it wrong. And I'm, and I feel brave enough to go up on stage. It feels good. And I have something to share with people, but like underneath it is this what the hell am I doing with my life? <laughs> this like very shaky um, insecurity that is so familiar that I watched my dad wrestle with his whole life and never, ever defeat 
and that is scary. Um, I hope I can. And it feels like in writing the songs about him and in telling the truth about those things that he was afraid of, um, I'm I like setting myself up for like, now it's my job. Now I have to do this. I told everyone about it. So now they all know. And I have to, <laughs> and I have to, I don't know. I have to come to terms with it somehow. Um, it is very scary. I don't know. It's a, a specifically scary job to have when you're a person who struggles with that insecurity. Mm. And I think a lot of it is born again out of the idea that I'm unimportant, that I was raised to feel that I was part of a, you know, a beautiful machine of humanity. And, and I was just like a cog in the wheel. Do your best, help others. That will give, that will be rewarding enough. That will be the purpose of life. And what's behind that? I'm not sure, but that, yeah, the insecurity lies there. I'm like, I, I haven't really built a self. Um, I don't really want anyone to see that. And it's very scary. And I also want everyone to see it because that's the only way I'll feel better. Uh, that's not an answer. What a conundrum. <laughs> what exactly? Exactly. <laughs> I think you're doing such an incredible job of like, I really feel like you dove into, you're like one, two, three, and I'm diving in. Like when this had, since this record has been out and even in the lead up of the singles coming out, the vulnerability with which you write in your posts about the meaning of the song and the genesis of the song. And like, as you've been on tour, you're so, you are so vulnerable and tender in showing us how you're feeling and how you are a tender, vulnerable person. And like, I know that maybe it feels like you don't have your stuff worked out, but the truth is, is that when some, when, when all of us, okay, 100%. And if you say that you're not, you're a liar, think you have your stuff for Like nobody has their stuff worked out. And you're just like, Oh, I don't have my stuff worked out today. And you say all these tender things that you're thinking and that so many other people think, and it is, you are doing this beautiful service, even when you're not holding a hammer and climbing up a ladder and building a house for somebody, you really are making a space for people to have the feelings that they already have, but like, you know, that they maybe can't admit out loud. And like, that is such, you're a master at that. And like, I'm so grateful. I love reading your posts and, you know, obviously seeing the, the way that you move through the world and the things that you see and it is, it is in service when you're having your own thoughts for your own self and trying to take care of your own self. It is actually still because you're a public person in service to us too. So hopefully you can get comfort out of that. Yeah, a, that's true. Spiritual cog. <laughs> yeah, I do. It's true that the, the performance of the songs feels very like there's so much being worked through internally and the songs came from this very internal place. I wasn't making them for anyone. I was making them for myself. Um, but the, yeah, the revelation that happens on a stage and how I can sing these songs that are so specifically about my dad, about my relationship to my dad and to myself, that it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but it's about, it's a, again, it's about the revelation. It's about people watching me on stage who are strangers who are like, what's this stranger doing in front of me crying on stage about her dad? Like, does she trust me this much? Um, or what, <laughs> you know, they're, <laughs> they're, 
they're working through their own dad things. And then what happens is like after a show, it's, it's often, um, it's just such a wide range of complicated dad relationships. Um, most people don't come up to ask me more about my dad. Like we've heard enough. They come to tell me about their dad and their experience through the show is like, Oh yeah. Oh, maybe my dad was thinking and feeling that too. Or maybe my Mm. dad was a total dick and he never showed up or maybe, you know, there's just such a, a range of relationships with fatherhood and what that means about ourselves that, that people mm. are experiencing. And it, it feels like it's not even, it's not about me. It is about me, but it's yeah. Familiar. You're right. Rose in that way of it is in service of the whole of all of, all of our moving forward. It's not just about me um, kind of selfishly digging into my own stuff on stage. Yeah. The making of the record was for you. That's the way that you kind of built the, built your connection to your dad. And then when you sing it out to everybody else, it's the gift of giving them a moment to think about what theirs was, if they had one or what shape it was. It is a real, it's a beautiful thing. Like once you sing the songs out loud, once you put them out, they're kind of, they're kind of not about you anymore. Like they are, and they will be when you sing them, but they are a gift to other people. And yeah, we're thankful for them. In listening to this record and also hearing you talk about your dad and learning about your dad, there's like a, a lot that I'm hearing that I'm like, oh, that sounds like my dad. And I'm wondering if you hear that from people who, at shows who hear these songs um, and then maybe in general, like what do those types of reactions make you feel about dads as like a blanket uh, statement? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of people will come up. And like I said, I, I think it's, um, it's not always that I've, that I've actually described their dad or their relationship to their dad. It's just that I've talked about dads and they're thinking about their own relationship, which is really all over the map. Um, yeah. Some people come up and they're like, my dad was a builder too. And, or, um, my dad didn't know how to give a hug or say, I love you. Or yeah, I, I never knew my dad. That's also a thing that happens. Um, and uh, I think it feels really clear. I wonder if it will be different in the future, but it feels really clear that a lot of us are the products of men who were raised during a certain era and who were complex and didn't didn't know how to express their emotions, um, but held a very, against their will or not, held a very important place in our hearts and in our like growing, you know, we were looking up to them. We were wanting something from them. And I think many dads of that era failed to do it well, even, or they did it in their quiet, weird ways. Like, yeah, my dad sometimes was very affectionate. He, you know, he'd give a very big hug or something, but he also couldn't look me in the eyes and say, I'm really proud of you. He would, he would like nudge someone next to him and say, that's my daughter. And that's how he told me he was proud of me. Um, they're just the puzzle. I think a, a lot of people feel that their dads are a really important puzzle that they have to solve that like I know that he loves me I know in his own weird way you know uh, you're just left trying to solve them and I think that's 
been fairly universal for a while. And I think, I hope that with conversations about gender and like the ways that we're raising boys, that that will change a little bit. But at the moment, yeah, it brings up a lot of dad things. And also, you know, the other thing is that a lot of dads will come up to me. I had a dad, like in probably in his mid forties, attend with, um, attend a show with like his preteen daughters. He was sobbing. Like he came to the table and he couldn't speak. He was just like, he gave me a hug and was shaking, crying. Um, and I think there's this big feeling of like seeing it from the other perspective when you are a dad, like this is an enormous weight of responsibility. I don't know if I'm doing it well enough. Maybe I'm letting my kids down. Will my kids remember me this way? And I always say like, yeah, I mean, my dad fucked up. <laughs> like I, I wrote him a whole record. He was not perfect. And, you know, he just, and he was really important to me regardless. And you're doing the best you can. And that's what matters. But an interesting response for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's like, that's, so that dad's response was like the last time I saw Deb Talon play. That was the response I had. Like, I didn't, she didn't even say anything to me. I just like started like shit. So you got a Deb Talon response, which is huge. (laughs) Yes, it is. That's huge. Rachel? Yeah, I'll take it. Um, I have one question that kind of messes up the flow, but I just kind of wanted some clarification. And this could be like a very small question or a huge question. Um, But in the press release, it says, Rachel poses questions about identity, inheritance, and grief. So two of the three of those words make sense to me, but could you explain more about the inheritance part? Hmm. I was wondering which two. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think this whole record is about what I've inherited from my dad, good and bad. Like emotional inheritance. Yeah, that's specifically what it is. Yeah, applying to just the, yeah, and specifically the things that he did not finish working through in his lifetime that I that were just handed on down unfinished in our, my work now. Up until this album, you had not written about your dad. Roseanne Cousins has written about her dad. (laughs) She has. Now, perhaps these songs were all written and constructed by the time you got into the studio together, but Rose, what kind of mentorship did you offer Rachel in approaching songs about dad? I didn't offer her any mentorship. I, she came fully formed. Like there was only one song that wasn't finished. That's right. Right. And you played it for me in the studio. And Mm -hmm. I pretty sure I burst into tears and told her that that was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. I think there was one word you weren't sure of that I helped you with. And it was familial. Yeah. Familiar. Familiar. Um, Familiar. But like, no, I, I, I think my job was to hold steady and uh, hold a quiet space for what was intended to happen. I think that like Rachel's incredible at performing in the studio, like performing takes of a song all the way through. And that's kind of how we did it. That's how it would start. We'd talk about how we wanted it to feel. We'd you know, um, that ideas back and forth. And then we would move forward kind of filling in around, uh, in a painterly way to really kind of just enhance what she'd already brought. So I don't know. I, I don't know that I, I don't know if mentor is the right role. I think I just was like, um, 
I don't know. I think maybe my job was just to be steady and collect the things, uh, whether it be which vocal take, which vocal takes would be good or, you know, the things I think what was helpful as this was kind of my first time producing a record for someone else to be like, okay, well, I'm a singer and I'm a songwriter. And when I'm in the studio, I, I want to pay attention to my performance, but I might not be able to remember all the things. So I think my job was to collect, was to pay close attention and collect. And, but through the lens of the, the what I knew she was going through. So heavy emotion, uh, you know, I, she would sing something and I'd be like, she's probably not going to like that. So I'm going to make a mark. And I'm going to be able to say, you should definitely do one more, or we definitely have it come in and listen, that kind of thing. If I think about the best things that producers have done for me and, and, and also like collecting things in a very organized way, you know, just like holding, like kind of being the, one of the pilots or like making sure that we're kind of on track while she's kind of in the soup of where she needs to be, which is in like the guts of the emotion of it, which it co- totally comes out on the record. So, um, yeah. So I th- I would say I was a partner, but not, I don't know that I'm, Rachel could speak better. I don't know that I mentored her in any way. She's fully formed. Um, um, as a songwriter. Yeah. I, I feel like that was really helpful. That last, that last, the last song I wrote was, um, how I was made, uh, which is the song about my parents' marriage, which, took a really long time to come out of me. I think predominantly because my, maybe because my mother's still alive, uh, trying to figure out how to tell my parents' story as a love story. So someone's still watching. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I think that it, that's precisely why I asked Rose to do it was to, to produce the record was because she's a songwriter, not because I needed help with the songwriting, but I needed someone who really got the songwriting and that the songwriting stayed at the center of it. Uh, I didn't have to spend time translating things. I didn't have to be like, no, this means, you know, this is about this like deep longing in me about, you know, it just, it was very clear. I didn't have to say anything more than the songs and, um, and to know that they would be like protected and, and lifted up through the production. Um, and yeah, I think Rose, everything that she just said, she did so well, um, that I was allowed to kind of maintain this. I was in this very emotional space, which is not a very organized one. Um, and I didn't have to think about all the little bits. I could just stay centered there and that someone was listening for the, like, um, that listening back, even listening to the takes wasn't about like, perfection it was about uh did the emotion come through in my take um and whether it's a, a, whether we should keep it or throw it like there's not there are not many people i would trust to do that other than myself and i think rose is one of them um and, and yeah her her like moving through the world as a songwriter and seeing things in that way made her specifically uh well suited for the job Another theme on the record that I really love is an appreciation and admiration for a life that was humble yet so worthy. So during the process of making this record, what did you learn about what it means to live an ordinary life? I don't know. It's in me. It's that's all I know, actually. I don't know how to do anything else. And I'm always struggling to to try something else because that's 
uh, yeah, that's how I was made. And it's very familiar to me. And I recognize the like resistance I feel in the world um, to discount that kind of life and how, uh oh, and I might, I might cry. Um, <laughs> how, you know, it just felt like such a gift to give that to my dad, who, um, my dad lived a simple life. My mom embodied it and celebrated it, or celebrate is a strong word. My mom valued it, uh, and my dad maybe felt ashamed of it. And it felt very, very sweet to make an entire record for someone who had just done his best and did not live a flashy life and that that is good enough. It just felt like I was saying over and over and over again, you're good enough. I, I honestly like it's the same thing from from earlier. Like I I really do think it's launched you into this spot in yourself where like from our conversations, you're the struggle with with doing anything outside of that. Like who are you to be on stage? Who are you to write your things and do the things and like break out of a small place like Duluth and and do a thing that could be careful now, extraordinary, you know, like <laughs> the, the discomfort that you, that you worried about of other people's discomfort about it, you know, like, it's like, really, when do you break out of a story that was, that you grew up in that might not be yours? Like, this is the generational thing that you, it's like, if you're not intentional or aware, we can take on our parents' trauma that they have and the parents before, or you can become, okay, here's, like it's it's like good luck to everybody doing it to 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 be like okay you know I am an individual person I am a product of these two people but I don't have to be limited to what their limitations were and I think like you really yeah it's so beautiful to hear you be like yeah I gave my dad your dad's been on stage now where he would never have put himself in that in that way yet he impacted so many people's lives by being such a helpful person and you too you too, you know, and you're like, it's, it's such a cool thing. You're right. And you, you probably, you could never have had it if he was alive and what an incredible way to honor him in his passing. Like, I don't know. It's like, it's annoying the way that things work out. And also it's amazing the way they do. Well said. On, on that track, I, know it, I feel like it's been said a couple of times uh, that it's too bad that my dad died. Same for the people in the back. Yeah, it's too bad that my dad died. And it's um, and that's a thing like often also after shows, people will come up because I'm very emotional throughout the show. Mm -hmm. People will come up and, and need to say like, I'm so sorry, because it looks as if I'm still like trapped in this like immediate aftermath of my dad's death and that I haven't been able to process it. And then I'm going to be like haunted and tortured by the fact that he's died. I feel fine. that my dad died. Like, especially with the way his life was going, like merciful that it didn't drag on forever. But I, it just, I feel like very accepting of the fact that we die. My dad died. Of course he died. And like, how great that he died before me. Um, I don't know. I, just like wanted to put that out there that I feel very accepting of the fact that a, 
very accepting of our mortality, of my dad's mortality, and I'm grateful for the process of of like figuring it out and remembering him and grieving him. And it's beautiful, but I don't regret it. I don't regret that he's dead. Wasn't in your control anyway. True. This is a good follow-up for that. What has surprised you while grieving and how did your experience with the grieving process impact your approach to the record? Um, the record was my grieving practice, I would say. Not not the studio. Well, yeah, in studio too, but the writing was very much just I don't I don't really know how to process my emotions other than through songwriting. I think that's um usually there's a mess in my head and it needs to be sorted out. I need to like figure out how to hold two truths at once or something is how songwriting usually comes about. And yeah, grief was very much like that. You're dead. I love you still. Your body's gone. Where did it go? Were you ever here? Am I here? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was messy and full of some unexpected bouts of crying or maybe expected, but just like at weird times and, um, and the writing, I think the thing that I'm most surprised at, which seems so obvious now that the record is done is how, how much I, uh, relate to my dad. I spent a whole childhood feeling like he was the odd one out in our family. And then I started writing songs about him and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I guess, I guess there's a lot there. And, and with like the complicated parts of my, my parents' marriage and how my mom ran the household, it did feel like, you know, my dad's way of doing things were often wrong or annoying to her. Or so, so I just really um, shoved them down. And so I guess that's the thing that's um, a pleasant and unpleasant surprise in finishing the songs is to look at them and think, oh, well, I guess I am just like my father. Not just, but a little bit. Quite a lot like my father. In the in the song Heart on Fire, this, okay, I was telling my wife about this story and we were just like, whoa, very intense. Um, so in the song... Here's a, a quote about the song. You transform one of your reoccurring intrusive thoughts, the image of your father's familiar form entering the crematorium. And it's so- the song is about the persistence of infinite love beyond the finite body. And you say that the thought of this will still keep you up at night. I don't know if that's still true or not, but how has that experience and those thoughts impacted what you'd like to be done with your body after you die? Mm-hmm. Gosh, Mm -hmm. I think I've always felt weird about the ways that we process bodies, like over-process bodies. Like, I don't know, throw me in the woods, but I think that's illegal. (laughs) (laughs) I think Uh, you have to get permission to be thrown in the woods. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Throw me in the woods. Um, Yeah, I don't have a specific desire, but... um, Again, I think having written the song, I do have a, a different a level of acceptance for that. Like, I don't know, I guess it happens and I won't be feeling it. So whoever loves me and is nearby, I guess they can do whatever they need to. I'm going to be a tree. Oh, yeah? 
That sounds nice. That does sound nice. I like that. Rose, have you thought about this? Yeah, I have. Like, and I think I I think I would want to be cremated, and that's only because I feel like I don't want to be buried in one place. Um, mm. I like the idea of kind of like a little bit of me being sprinkled on the shore, like like the, the shore that I kind of grew up on, and you know, over the cliff in Bonavista in Newfoundland, because I just love that place. And I don't know. Um I do love visiting my grandmother's grave. Like it is a nice, uh, you know, I always went with her to visit graves and plant flowers. And I do that to her grave. And it is really nice to kind of go and feel like I am there. Um, But I feel like maybe I'm the person that always visits people. And I don't know, maybe I'm less visited than I, than I visit. So maybe there's, that's kind of as far as I've gotten. I like, exactly like you're going to be gone but i just kind of i kind of feel like i'd like to be put in a few different spots somehow we'll visit you oh thank you that's nice what about you cindy oh you're gonna be a tree never mind you're gonna be a tree i'm gonna be a tree you're gonna be a tree i'm gonna my wife my wife just got home um and i'm like here's what's gonna happen we're gonna both be trees and then our sister-in-law is gonna come and do that thing. I don't know. What's that process called where you try to like entangle them so they're all like twisted together? I mean, if you plant them close she enough. She knows how to do it. Yeah, that's probably going to happen if you're planted close She's going to do it. She's going to come. She promised us. Okay, okay. Yep. Yeah, that she was going to do that. That's nice. um, so I just have to, I've looked it up. Yeah. You know, I just got to get the paperwork yes. ready to go and notarized. <laughs> just good plan. That's what I thought out. Well, friends, um, we have reached the lightning round portion of uh, our interview, and I'm delighted to say that this is a dad-themed lightning round. <laughs> Surprise! I, I would love, love it. I would. I would love it if both of you would participate in this. So maybe Rachel goes first, and then Rose. Okay. Okay. Um, the lightning round is something that we do here on Basic Folk to show that we contain multitudes. We can be emotional and serious, but we can also be fools. Amen. So here we go. Dad-themed lightning round. Who is your favorite TV dad? Tony Danza. Oh, God. I can't even think of a TV dad. Um, I'm sorry, man. I this is, this is not my forte. I really don't watch a lot of TV, which sounds pretentious. Who is your favorite fictional dad? Let's look back. Loop back around. Okay, we'll loop back. Okay. Okay. What did your dad listen to while he drove the car? Mm. I think it was silent. I think my dad was smoking a cigarette, and it was really loud because it was his work van. This is like a lot of sounds, and he was smoking a cigarette out the window. And, uh, yeah. I don't know if my dad listened to anything. Like, I mean, every now and again, he might listen. He might have listened to, like, Stomp and Tom or Johnny Cash, but, like, not not super music oriented. Not even sure if he listened to the radio. Hmm. His own thoughts whirling at a, at a very high speed. <laughs> I will say my dad really loved Anne Murray also, but he did not listen to it in his work van. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't make sense no. to listen to Anne Murray in your work van. <laughs> no. What was your dad's favorite joke or prank? <sighs> I... Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
There are so many, they didn't make sense. I think maybe dementia made it worse, but my dad was always trying to like tell a riddle that didn't have an answer. <laughs> like, or the, he would get to the answer and you'd be like, oh, that wasn't, I, those two things are not, do not correlate. I don't understand. Um, I do like in the song Bobby, ways they how you're dressed for church in your Sunday best with your holiest socks. My dad always would say, yeah, every time we had to go to Sunday school, you got your holy socks on? Um, yeah, he was full of a lot of dad jokes and they got, they just kind of devolved with his dementia to a point of like, oh, I'm sorry, I, don't, I can't follow. Hmm. Um, my dad is generally very silly and like comes up with his own, he has kind of his own like vernacular where he'll call um, a watch, he'll call it a look, or he'll call a pear, the fruit, he'll call it a single. Um, uh, or he'll ask for the salt and pepper in French, uh, poorly and do things like he's like, his, his like kid joke is he'll come and smell the kids. One of the grandkids, he did this to us as kids too. smell their sock and then have what looks like, like an asthma attack. Like he's almost dying from how bad it smells, which is very funny. Um, Yeah. He's pretty funny. When I think I can't remember how many years ago, but it was probably 20 years ago. I made him a dictionary of like what his vernacular where I tried to think of as many possible things that he uses. Um, it's pretty funny. Yeah, those are good. Um, OK, let's do one more. What is your dad's best fashion choice? There are a lot of bad ones by the time I came around. But I, I will say in the, doing this project, I'm, I was surprised I was always begging my mom to tell me about what it was like when they met and like what brought them together and frankly all she had to do was show me a picture like he was very good looking and well-dressed and like knew what he was in like walking with confidence like um he, he did very well for himself in the 70s but uh it didn't it didn't he didn't keep it up as if he had a dad not a great dad look but just he was just always in work clothes frankly he was always wearing full not like just beat up blue jeans and a work t-shirt covered in like caulk mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dad looks really good in a suit um, and he's but as a farmer like one of his one of his summertime classic books uh, in transition was like a, a, a short snap shirt that has like it's thinned so much a cut off jean short and rubber boots um, yeah, and but if he was gonna also, sometimes he would just wear a ball cap just on the top of his head so that it wouldn't wreck his hair. It wouldn't pull it down. <laughs> That's that and he too. Also, he also, did you do that too? Yeah, it drove me crazy. I used. To oh my god! Me, I don't even That's know how to awesome. wear hats. <laughs> and did your dad have? Did your like my dad also has these? He calls them club rubbers. And he pulls a, an overshoe over his nice church shoes. Yeah. So you take the club rubbers off when you get to church and your <laughs> other shoes are dry. <laughs> My dad had those too. Okay. Those what did kid. he call them? Yeah. Overshoes, I think. I don't think he called them anything. He warmed to the farm. Right. Okay. For sure. Yeah. 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 Man, this has Dads. been great. Thank you so much, Rachel and Rose. Congratulations on making this beautiful album together. Really lovely to talk to you both. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having Thank you. us.
This episode of Basic Folk was produced by Anthony Cabrera. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes there, wherever you get podcasts. You can also search for us on the SiriusXM app under Basic Folk, or you can check out our website, basicfolk.com. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend, particularly a friend who has lost a parent recently and is kind of in the process of wading their way through the grief process, but also getting to know their parent in a way that is different than they would have felt while their parent was still alive, as Rachel discussed in this episode. You thought I was going to be funny, but I actually was very serious in that friend's suggestion. Send it to that friend and let them know that you're there for them in this really weird and wonderful time in their lives. Okay, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. Bye. Bye.